0: Talking Stigma podcasts feature Gareth Thomas and Craig Doyle talking to other well-known guests about stigma and how we can make stigma a thing of the past through knowledge and education. Listen to Gareth talking about his HIV positive diagnosis, how people have treated him, how he has felt since he announced his status in September 2019, and how through scientific advances, being on effective treatment means the levels of HIV are so low in his system that the virus cannot be passed on through sexual contact. The intimate discussions draw on personal insights of Gareth and other special guests, comparing and contrasting their experiences of stigma. You're very, very welcome to Tackle HIV with Gareth Thomas and the Talking Stigma podcast series. I'm Craig Doyle, and throughout this series, I'm talking to Gareth and other well known guests about stigma. What is it like to experience stigma? How do you overcome it? How does it affect your life? If you experience it as a kid, does it stay with you in your adult years? How do you overcome that when it's so, so deep rooted? And most importantly, how can we make stigma a thing of the past? And I guess with Gareth here uh, talking about HIV is gonna be a key part of the conversation. So as it is, I just wanna read out a fact. That really underpins the whole conversation and why so much stigma is unnecessary, particularly when it comes to HIV. And I'm quoting this. Science has enabled incredible advances in treating HIV, but despite this, people living with HIV or at risk of HIV still face stigma and discrimination, which undermines prevention, testing and treatment efforts I guess that's because they just will not talk about it here's the key bit though HIV is now a manageable chronic disease I'll say that again it is now a manageable chronic disease medication works by reducing the amount of the virus in the blood so much that it does not show up in standard blood tests why is that important well it means the levels of HIV are so low that the virus cannot be passed on and in that one line alone we absolutely debunk One of the myths around HIV and one of the biggest stigmas people who have HIV have to live with. So that's what we're talking about today. Um, Joining Gareth is Kate Richardson-Walsh, OBE. Always get the OBs in, Kate. Very, very important. Your stats are through the roof. Unbelievable, right? We know about the Olympic gold in Rio, which is good. If you have a chance after you've listened to this wonderful podcast, go onto YouTube and have a look at those final moments again in Rio because they're so, so good. But a uh, amazing thing to win that gold and for, for English sport as well. Um, 375 caps for your country which is insane Gareth and I were saying that. it's got to be a record for international sport but you captained for 13 years
1: 13 how years.
0: exhausting is that Kate? <laughs>
1: well, the other player is probably really exhausting <laughs> no it was, I was so lucky and I feel really privileged that I got to captain my country for that length of time but it, it, was, it was literally the best of times and sometimes the worst of times but mostly it was good
0: I often think as well, because you were 23 when you started. Yeah. And like, you know, 13 years later, you become a very different person anyway oh. in life, don't you? So, yeah. I mean, how did you progress and change and adapt?
1: Oh, massively. I look back when I was 23 and I think, what were you doing? And it didn't get off to a good start because we didn't qualify for the Athens Olympics in 2004. So it had, couldn't have gotten off to a worse start. Um, but I just had to learn what were my strengths, what could I bring to the role, and not try and be somebody else, something that I wasn't. But that took me a long time to learn that. And also that you never finished. You never finish being a good leader, it's just continuous, and that's what I try to do in the end anyway.
0: It's good to see you're over the Athens thing. You don't even mention Rio.
2: That's how <laughs> true true sports person.
0: Yes. I'm only gonna remember Still the hurts. pain. <laughs> um, we also share something very important and very serious. We both cry to DIY SOS. Nick Knowles, he destroys me.
1: Every single time. Every time. The repair shop and DIY SOS. Oh, repair shop? Every, I like the repair oh. shop. Oh, do you cry? Do you, you get a little tear at for that, guy? I
0: don't cry, no, Aww. I'm not getting the crying part Well you haven't watched the We Fixed Granny's Music Box
1: yeah.
2: episode Ah, right, now. Nah, the, the rocking horse one i see. <laughs> <laughs>
0: oh, rocking horses they're scary, they're, they're haunted and they, they sit in the corner rooms in the attic Don't do they that don't um, i got to explain from the top as well, because I've, I've called you Gareth like maybe five times in your life uh, You're Alfie, you're Alfie to me, you're going to be Alfie to everyone listening to this podcast as well Can you explain, Gareth, why you're called Alfie?
2: Well, I'd love to say it was because of the suave Michael Caine, <laughs> sophisticated Alfie character, but it's not. Unfortunately, it's um, it's named after the. Okay, um, I, I don't know if you do. You know why?
1: I, I think. Well, I'm just. I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm now him.
2: curious.
0: Okay, okay. so I know. It's I'll more give you a fun clear.
1: watching him
2: <laughs> explain it. The Alf it hurts. It, The Alf is the A L F for alien life form so do you remember yeah so do you remember the character yeah. the American sitcom long ginger hair big teeth big nose big ears <laughs> so look at me now I don't know why they call me out why would they call me out no, I don't know yes yeah, like so it's, anyway. it's not it's not my finest moment but
0: and it's stuck just with me we just give everyone a chance to google that image <laughs> <laughs> enjoy that there you go. I listened to one interview uh, with you, Alfie, where someone said, and of course you're called Alfie uh, because uh, this creature was very tall <laughs> and gangly. And that's what you're like when you're a kid. I was like, no,
2: it's his head. <laughs> Sometimes I make my own version of why they called me Alfie.
0: <laughs> it's cute. And you're Alfie to us. And I am. But, there, of course. you. Um, 100 caps for Wales. Unbelievable. Captain, the British and Irish lines. Your career was outstanding. I remember you were Toulouse and you were just an absolute showman on the pitch with them. You, you had an incredible rugby career. When you look back at it now, Alfie, what are your fondest memories of it all?
2: Do you know my fondest memories really of the game when I look at it now, and even then I think, was the friends I made. Genuinely, like I, I, I am really blessed. You know, I've played in World Cups, Um, say the first person to win 100 caps. for It was just insane. Captain my country, Captain the Lions. And all of that is all these great memories but I have, funny enough, my mother in the house, she has like this cabinet, which has all my memories in it. My br- that, my brothers call it the eternal cabinet. Mm. Like you walk in my mother's house. I got two brothers, but if you walked in my mother's house, you wouldn't think they exist. <laughs> it's literally just pictures of memorabilia of me. And all my memorabilia is in them cupboards. Um, and uh, I look at it sometimes, you think, Do you know, what? they're all like really great achievements, But when you pick up your phone or you see a mate that you haven't seen for 20 years that you, you know, you had some special bond and memory with, then that really is for me what, what made it all worthwhile. Like all them years of sacrifice, difficult, um, difficult times, injuries. Then it was all worthwhile because after it, you look back and some of the friends you made, as you nod in your head, you know mm-hmm. it's just it's priceless. It really is like uh, and the importance of them during all your your trials and tribulations.
0: Uh, yeah. Most recently, of course, as well.
2: Yeah, they've massive. You know, like massive support, and even you know, with my with my sexuality, the support I had whilst I was playing seemed more relevant because I was in the team at the time. So it, yeah, if it, it felt like it was kind of almost needed, but it, they were given it, not not the fact that they felt they needed to give it, they wanted to. And then, you know, uh, last year when I spoke about my HIV positive diagnosis, the text that I had from boys that, you know, again, I haven't seen for 20 years. I've spoken to for some of them since since I retired from rugby or since I didn't play the last game of rugby with them. Yet yeah, that bond is like unbreakable mm-hmm. and that team mentality that friendship so and again this is a diff this was a difficult and is a difficult subject for some people to understand so to have have the element of the rugby community which sometimes is maybe stereotypically deemed as a community of people that are like you know stereotypically heterosexually minded and fearful of anything that is maybe an uncomfortable conversation, it blew all of that out of the water because they were they were there for me in vocal support and coming down to Tenby on the day, a lot of them came and physically showed their support for me as well.
0: Do you remember when you, you spoke to me that day? And I was in the car with my mum. I was dropping her to the hairdresser and I had her on speakerphone. I was like, it's Alfie, shush. <laughs> and we had quite the conversation. Do you remember? We were laughing our heads off. My mother was like, oh, I love him. <laughs> and I love his voice. He's just telling me he's gorgeous. So <laughs> he's she, gorgeous. Thinks, she thinks you're gorgeous. Uh, you. You're nodding your head there. I mean, uh, it, it, it seems from what I've read about you and, and of course your wife, Helen, you're, well, it seemed like an easier path for you. It just, that's how it seems to read. Is that because the friendship and sport? helped that much or your sport was kind of more open minded maybe
1: yeah I think definitely on the women's side it's, it's more more common I suppose and, and I'd say more spoken about but it's, it's not if I look back to the beginning of my international career my senior international career there were um, gay women in the team but nobody talked about it and there was like a knowing and an understanding and there wasn't any discrimination but you just didn't talk about it and so by not talking about it you're made to think that that's wrong um, and I think Helen and I have in our relationship, I guess, when being quite open about it, just put it on the table for people, kind of force a little bit of the conversation. And yeah, I think it's the team were ma- uh, just amazing. So supportive. The coaches were really supportive. And I think within our kind of women's hockey bubble, we felt very supported, safe, understood, And I think it's only when we kind of stepped outside of that did we get a glimpse of, okay, this isn't what everybody thinks and what everybody feels about our relationship. And we probably need to understand that a little bit more.
0: By talking. And that's what we're here for. Because the mm. more you talk about these things, uh, well, you've a better chance of kind of lessening the stigmas and mm. allowing everyone to live their, their lives be the best version good. of themselves. Um, we're going to chat more about that, Kate, and, and, and your unbelievable hockey career and how it's affected your your, your life now and all the positives. But um, let's just have a quick word, Alfie, about what, what we're doing here because you recently launched the Tackle HIV campaign with Vive Healthcare and the Terence Higgins Trust. It's had a lot of attention and rightly so. It's a brilliant campaign. Why did you get involved? What, what are you hoping to
2: achieve with it all? Well, I felt, first of all, when I was diagnosed um, that I was HIV positive years ago, I remember thinking basically I was going to die. That was like my initial thought. And that's, as anyone can imagine, that's a scary thought. Why? Because I didn't know anything about HIV. I thought HIV was a death sentence. Or what I thought I knew about HIV was what, you know, the famous advert 20 years ago had told me. Um, and nothing really had been done since then to tell me any different. So I felt I was educated in it. Now, I kind of, I quickly learned that that wasn't no, any longer the fact. But I realized that the only reason I knew that, is, again, is because nobody else in my friend circle, my family circle, had ever spoken about it, ever ever, ever known any. Any difference? So when I then spoke about my diagnosis, I felt I created a conversation and I created um, a, um, a means for people to to listen and educate themselves. But then what I found kind of quickly happened was that it's kind of like a new, like a headline in a newspaper. You know, it's there one day and all of a sudden everyone's talks about it. And the next day there's another headline, so people quickly move on. Um, And I just felt that I wanted to keep that conversation going. And I also realised, and this to me is really important, is that this is not about me. This is about HIV, which is much bigger than me. And stigma and misunderstanding is much bigger than me. Um, So I wanted other people to learn about it. So when we sat down to decide to launch the Tackle HIV campaign, we did a survey And I was going, yeah, on the survey, it says 61% of the people said that if they found out a potential partner was HIV positive, they'd end the relationship. Almost half of the people thought that HIV could be passed on, even if they're on effective treatment. And something then, which for the sporting person in me, really scared me is to say that more than one in three of the people in the survey said that if they were playing a contact sport... And they found out that somebody else on that field or in our arena was HIV positive. They would consider not playing that sport anymore. So I thought to myself, well, I realized that what them figures gave me was a reality that we haven't really moved on. So I need to keep the conversation going because I live, I live a very healthy, a very happy life as a HIV positive man with a husband who's HIV negative and I know for a fact that there's no way scientifically proven and with the advances in medicine that I can transmit HIV to anybody and whether that be sharing the same Mm. knife and fork, turning the door handle, giving somebody a hug um, as there's so many misconceptions of people that think that that's a way that could be transmitted. I know that it can't but not everybody else knows that and that's why I feel environments are really important things. And we all have a part to play in creating that environment. So I wanted to make an environment where people have the knowledge to have the power to make the right decisions. It's just at the moment, they don't have that knowledge. So environments, people are not talking about living with HIV. People are suffering mental health. People are dying because they're afraid to be diagnosed as HIV positive because that's a stigma that they don't want to have to tell their family um, or don't want to have to go on treatment So their lives are seriously affected by the illness. So for me, it's something I was really passionate about that everybody, I believe, should have this information to create better environments for people living with HIV, for people affected with HIV and for society in general. And that's why it's so important you're doing this. Because yeah, you, yeah. you know
0: something, you do that without any accusations against people's ignorance. You, you're understanding it's actually not people's fault. If you, yeah. don't know, if you don't know, you don't know. If you haven't been told, you haven't been told. So do you know what I'm going to do? I'm just going to read out the facts here, which right. are in front of me, because this kind of underpins an awful lot of the conversation. HIV is now a manageable chronic disease. HIV medication works by reducing the amount of the virus in the blood so much that it does not show up in standard blood tests. This means, and this is the key point, this means the levels of HIV are so low that the virus cannot be passed on. Science has enabled incredible advances in treating HIV. But despite this, people living with HIV are at risk of HIV, still face stigma and discrimination, which undermines prevention. And Kate, it's really interesting that point there Mm. because science and medicine, well, they can do an awful lot to cure people's their bodies, but to cure attitude and change attitude is actually almost a bigger challenge than the scientific side, isn't it?
1: It's huge. Yeah. But I think it comes from a place of exactly as Afi just said, it's not accusational. It's not pointing fingers of blame and saying, we're right, you're wrong. It's like, let's have a conversation. Let's have a look at the facts. Let's see what the history was. Let's see where we've come from and where we are now. And I think it's, it's promoting that conversational arena and that environment. Exactly. As you said, because now in society it just seems that we're so polarized on every issue you can imagine and part of that is I think because of a a misinformation or a lack of information and understanding and knowledge and and knowing somebody you know I didn't I didn't know so much of this information until Mm. I was coming here today and was reading through it all and I think I was kind of brought up in the 80s all I know about HIV and AIDS is what I learned in the 80s and I agree I've not read about anything, talked to anybody, understood any more than what I learned then. And that was, you know, passed through to the media. So it's about upskilling, giving knowledge and the tools to be able to make your own decisions and opinions.
2: And I I think what's interesting with, or, or what I, I don't want to preempt this, but I feel because Kate has an understanding of when I speak about discrimination, when I speak about stigma or being in like a protected characteristic, people who are within them little bubbles they don't need to hear that much. They just need to hear a little bit and they realize, they engage. Yet wider generalization of society, of people, when they feel they've never marginal been marginalized against, then they don't really understand. So trying to get this message through to them is a very, very difficult. And they'll only listen to certain people, you know, and, and in ways sports people are really powerful. When you when you enable a sports person with this information to say these things, they'd be like, "Oh, that's Kate, oh the Olympic gold. All right, if she says it, then it's right." And that that's the power I believe that sports people have. I
0: think if you're a captain of your your country like you were for 13 years, people will respect the fact that you're able to absorb a lot of information. And figure out how do you <laughs> A lot of assumptions
1: going on.
0: You've just absorbed that information <laughs> and you've batted it away. Um, um, no, but you, you do, yeah. whether you're even doing it subconsciously. And look, knowledge is power. Oh, God, yeah. Knowledge is power. So, what, what you're doing today by talking to people about your personal experiences and dishing out some facts as well as giving people the power to still maybe decide they want, if they, if they still want to have you know an attitude, well, so be That's it. Fine. But hopefully, Exactly. Some people will change their 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 minds, um, and I think an important part of that will be letting them know what it likes what it 's like to live with a kind of a stigma attached to you and it might be a physical disability or mental disability, it might be your sexuality, it might be a, having a disease of sort of like hiv it, might, it, it can be any of those things mm-hmm. and many many more besides so can I, can I hear your experiences of, of, of kind of, of you know, living with the stigma, having a stigma thrown at you. How, what is the term for? Is it living with the stigma? Do you live with a stigma? Do you? Do you, do you suffer? Uh, you fight, from I, I'd say you experience it. it?
2: Well, yeah. I feel if if it was a, a like, and I've never been asked that question before. My initial thoughts is is I'm 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 fighting to let people know the facts. Fighting a stigma. Fight fight. Sorry, fighting against what is a fact. You know, rather than just going with it, and people think coming along with you. Mm. Is kind of people are fighting against you trying to move forward and live a normal, he- happy, healthy life, without, I don't know, without the fear of like people knowing you're lying or without the fear of you disclosing something. So for me, it's 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 that, and it's kind of an interesting one because in ways I understand why people keep things secret because it for everybody else it just makes a better life.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Everybody else can have a better life. Your life is crap. But you know what, if it makes my mum and dad, my brothers, my friends life easier, then you know what, it's kind of worth the sacrifice you feel until you realise that you become open and honest about. And that, is that why it, it took you so long to come out because
0: you were married and, you know, in everyone else's eyes, you were living this wonderful lifestyle?
2: Well, yeah, I, you know, I, I, I kind of lived what I felt that I lived the version of life that I thought everybody else wanted me to live, mm-hmm. not the version I wanted to live. Mm-hmm. So, um, you discrimination against yourself in a weird right, way, yeah. Well, I, I and, and that's why you know what? When I talk about tackle HIV, I don't say you should know this and you should act this way because I'm self stigmatized, I've self discriminated. In a way, I feel that helps me, helps me understand what I'm fighting against, um, because I know what they're thinking. Sometimes it's good to be. In change is sometimes good to be one step ahead of the person you're trying to change. So the, before they ask the question, you've given them an answer. So you've stopped their question. Um and 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 for me, uh that's why I kind of understand him or that's why I understand the way the way people think or the or what the way people think before I walk into a room or what I think they're gonna think when you walk into a room. And also I don't know about Kate on this, but I lived it's not nice to live in fear, and when you lie, you live in fear, because you live in fear. Of people know when you're lying, and that's a really scary, scary place to be in.
1: Yeah, see, I I was very similar to you in that for the majority of my life, I lived exactly the life that I thought everybody thought I should be leading, and that I thought I should be leading. So heterosexual, I only dated guys. I was engaged to a guy you know it's that kind of you go to school you go to college you get a job you get married you have babies and it was just you just follow and i was just following this this path that had been laid out for me mindlessly and i wasn't engaging in my own life in any way and i was you know surrounded some of my best friends uh were gay and were bisexual and i was i absolutely was just that was totally normal to me but i'd never never thought about it for myself um and for me, I think that's a more, it's a, is certainly on me to be more mindful and aware and open and ask myself some big questions, but also structurally, educationally, you know, what are we doing to to engage young minds in that way to say, you know, ask who do you want to be? What kind of person? What are your values? What's your worth? What? And I was just mindlessly following this this path and it wasn't until I was 28, I'd broken up with the the guy I was engaged to and it just kind of forced me to, look at my life, where I was, who I was. People thought, "Wow, well, she's the captain of GB in England. She's already been to, to you know, she's going to a second Olympics. She's, everything's great. But I was, I was not great. I was not at all connected to who I was as a person. And then just my friendship with Helen developed into this wonderful relationship. And, and that, was, that was a massive change for me, which I didn't actually find that hard because I was surrounded by friends and family who supported me straight away. Um, But as I say, when you come outside of that, that's when I really started to, to struggle a little bit.
0: Was there a key moment where things change? It was like a a dripping tap for you. Well, there must be a key moment where you cross the whitewash.
1: Yeah. Yeah. There was definitely, okay, this is not just a friendship with Helen anymore. This is, I am seeing her in a completely different light. And I've actually not, never really felt like this before about anybody and it was amazing. So, you know, I wasn't feeling like I know lots of gay people that I speak to have felt that that ugh, that horrible fear, the weight, the dread that I don't want it to be me. Please mm. don't let this be me. I don't want to be gay. I was in this lovely, very fortunate bubble of like oh my god, I feel amazing. This is amazing. And I'm I'm going to run towards this head on because this I've never felt like this before. So, I'm I'm coming for you. You know, that I never I'd never experienced that. So, but I understand from talking to you know Helen's experience, my other teammates' experience, that they had a, a really different experience. That there was a lot of hiding away, a lot of guilt, a lot of shame, a fear, and and I feel really lucky that I just didn't necessarily experience it in that way.
0: So Helen was the the catalyst for it all.
1: Yeah, although I mean I was the one definitely. Um, Definitely making moves. Um, it was definitely on me. It was definitely on me. Yeah. Did you, I,
2: did you ever? Because I like I understand the team bond and obviously because I've been yeah. in a team and and I always say to the boys is like you know the boys we used to have a bit of a laugh and joke. They'd be like, well. You know, did you ever fancy me? I'm, like, I'm sorry, no, I didn't fancy you. Yeah. And they're like, "Why? What's wrong with me? What's <laughs> yeah. wrong with me?" Because you're Adam <laughs> Jones. look at you. You're 22 stone and hairy. I'm like, you're boys, and, and again, it's getting it's getting people to understand that as a as and I do, uh, as a gay man, and maybe as same as a gay woman, just because you're a gay man doesn't mean you fancy yeah. every man that lives. Yeah. Just because you're a gay woman doesn't mean you fancy every. Every um, woman I live. So did you have, did you ever sit down to make a conscious decision together to say, right, we shouldn't do this because of the team ethic or make, have that kind of discussion? Because I I don't know, I can't, I'm not sure in my mind if I could... Yeah. 'Cause that's again another stigma against your against your team. You shouldn't yeah. have to have that conversation, really.
1: Yeah, we definitely had a conversation as a couple about how we wanted to be. Did we want to hide it away from the team? And we just felt like we couldn't. We were around each other so much that actually that would just be at a cost to us and therefore our performance would probably suffer. And then we you know, we were two of the best players in the team. It was just it was just not gonna be what we wanted for the team. So actually we just decided to be really upfront with the team which is weird because we we're at the start of a relationship you know it's honeymoon phase yeah you don't want to start having really serious conversations about how this relationship's going to work because you don't know yourselves um, but we sat down with our coach the ceo the performance director and had a really awful Awkward conversation.
0: <laughs> I wish you could see Kate's face. Oh, now. it's like it's cringy. Like, the
1: awkwardness <sighs> is still there. Oh, it was, honestly, it was horrific. Why?
0: Why was it so? Well,
1: awkward? I just think talking about any relationship at the beginning with those kind of people who you would never have a conversation with those people about any relationship, I don't think. But yeah, here we were having a conversation because there was a real concern from the coach, which I completely understand that if we did break up, it would be like, you know, world war three and be team Helen, team Kate. And you have to pick a side and which I get team ethics and team bonding and team culture is huge. But we were very professional from the, from the get go, just we're Kate and Helen, two separate hockey players at work. And when we're away from that, we're a couple. And we talked about it with the team. We talked about some potential problems, You know, things like rooming together, how we were amongst the team spending time together and just having that real awareness of what impact were we having uh, on the team. And we we almost obsessively did that to the point where actually our relationship probably suffered because we wanted to be so professional um, that we never put it down. But we still, you know, we could laugh in training. That was the best thing for me is that we could laugh about it. In training, if Helen was playing against me and she like put me on my backside, which happened all the time, um, it's funny. Like laugh about that. You know, if Helen's team beats my team and I'm grumpy for the next three days, that's probably funny for for them.
0: Was it funny if the day before she hadn't unloaded the dishwasher? And like then she's trying to kind of, you know, nutmeg you. You're going like, she's getting an elbow in the ribs here. No, this is for
2: the dirty dishes. (laughs) Yeah.
1: (laughs) Taking it onto the pitch. Yeah, no. I mean, we did try not to, but I'm sure we did. Yeah. I mean, that's just human nature. Did you
2: find, sorry, you're jumping all the time, but did you find as well having the team? being finally being able to talk about it okay. Because I know I had an experience in rugby. So when I moved from Rugby Union to Rugby League, I moved to Rugby League as an openly gay man. But because I, weirdly, because I was open about it, it meant that nobody then would talk about it. It was kind of like, oh, actually, we're really uncomfortable about talking about it. Until I, this, like, a moment happened and we finally started talking about it and life got a lot better better so it was the same with it. it was like awkwardness to start yeah and then you create an environment actually you know what let's talk about it let's engage about it and make it normal
1: yeah but I think there were moments where it was kind of thought the issue was forced to talk about it mm. so I think it was like let's talk about it okay it's fine we'll just keep moving forward with it but then there were kind of little moments touch points where it actually meant we had to talk about it again so like getting married was a really good example of that so before we were married I think as a as a gay couple, sometimes you're not necessarily seen or taken seriously or seen as a legitimate couple until you're married. And of course we couldn't get married for lots of years, Um, but we got married and we decided neither of us wanted, we're stubborn, didn't want to give up our names, we are double barrel. And, and that forced the issue. We had to change our names on our shirts. The, we had to change the size of the font on our shirts. We had to have a special letter from the International Federation to say that we could have different sized font on our shirts. <laughs> we were asked questions by the media like, have you double-barrelled to make a statement? Which is just beyond like comprehension for me. But you know, you're not asking Jess Ennis-Hill. For sure, you're not asking Jess Ennis-Hill that yeah. question. Um so there were kind of moments like that where we were kind of forced to talk about it but otherwise it just it just made it and one of the nicest things i think was a young young player coming to us and just saying thank you for being you because you've helped me see actually who i am and that just i mean that just made nice. made just being open about it worthwhile however yeah. hard it was is worth it for yeah. that one person to feel like she could live yeah. her life the way she wanted to live it
0: So you're kind of both trailblazers on that front in your respective sports because someone has to be the first to do this. So a situation like that can arise. So a young person go, look, they've made it possible in all walks of life, by the way, be that based in race or sexuality or whatever. So it's really, really important, but it's interesting. We're asking people to be more accepting and to stop discriminating, but it was so hard for both of you Mm. to kind of be honest to yourselves, you know, it wasn't Mm -hmm. an easy passage. So you can understand why it's maybe difficult for other people to accept. You know, it's 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 a long process, isn't it? It's oh, not yeah. a snap decision.
1: No, particularly, I think, for women in sport, because of the history of women in sport. And I think particularly when I was growing up, that you know, 80s, it was kind of assumed that if you if you're a woman playing sport, you were a lesbian. I think that, and that I don't think that was said in a positive way. I think uh, being a lesbian was was used as a negative term. You know, kids would throw it around as a as a slur that would that wasn't a, a positive thing to be um, and and then i think we went through that period of that real oversexualization of female athletes in order to to cut against that to cut across that stereotypical what does a stereotypical lesbian look like what does a stereotypical female athlete look like well let's cut across that and i remember one of my first international games was advertised with a, one of our players in just like a little tiny dress like my place at 8 and it's like, okay, that's got nothing to do with the sport, nothing to do with what we're gonna do, but it's, exa- it's exactly where where we were. And now I think we're coming out the other side where actually it's all different women of every, exactly as you said, every difference that you can think of playing sport and it's for everybody. Um, but I've struggled with that myself. You know, even things like I had my hair cut, I, I've had every haircut under the sun and this is the most boring it's been my whole life, I think. Um, different colours, different lengths. And I decided after, just before 2012 to go really short, really short, like yours, exactly like yours, Craig.
2: She's pointing to the Craig, yeah, Craig. Yeah, Craig,
1: <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's exactly <laughs> so like sure. Alfie. It's actually both. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I can I do go score that. No. Um... And I was like, okay, right, I'm going to go really short. And and I actually really struggled with that. because, And I was like, why am I struggling with this? It's just my hair. But it was what my hair was saying about me. I'm quite, i was I'm not a bit nice much now, but I was a muscular athlete. I was very lean. I was very muscular. Now I had really short hair and I was angry on the pitch a lot. And I saw pictures of myself playing and it did not sit comfortable with me. And I was like, but why? That's me in my absolute prime playing my best, for my country and I'm, it's kind of sticking in my throat. Why is that? And it's about all those images that I had those negative connotations of what it means to be a female athlete, what it means to be a female athlete and gay. And, and that I was, I was really struggling with it. And it so
0: even you didn't like oh, the symbols, No, which is really interesting.
1: No, and yeah. it didn't help. I went to a school, I did a talk. And I used that picture, I think, because I was really pushing myself to grow, to understand why I didn't like it. And it finished, my whole talk finished with that picture. And we sat down to have dinner. It was a posh school. Um, I'm not used to posh schools. And, um, <laughs>
0: You've so, got a hyphen. You're used
1: to posh schools. I thank you. <laughs> Tart is up. Um, and I sat down with all the kind of heads of girls of sport and, and the headmaster. And uh, we were having dinner. It was fine. And he turned at one point and just said, could you not have found a prettier picture? And I was like, oh. Was that headmaster? Yeah. And I was like, there's a moment here. And I can just laugh it off and let it go. Or I can just actually just say, Do you know what? I'm really proud of that picture because mm-hmm. I worked hard for that body and I wanted my hair that way. And I love myself in that in that picture. And and I said that and you know, I still get emotional about it now because that is a that's a feeling held by so many people. Mm um and it's not negative to be to be a lesbian or bisexual or trans it's 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 part of who people are it's their difference it's part of them and we should we should accept and acknowledge that difference we don't have to agree with it but i think we should accept them and respect them as a human being that they are
0: that was about him though yeah that wasn't about you that was about him and his view and his whether it's a kind of a a deeply subconscious kind of uh, attitude he has It popped out there. Well, it has been a real eye opening stuff hearing some of Gareth and Kate's experiences uh, challenging stigma in their lives. We're going to take a quick pause and we'll be back with you for the next part of the Tackling Stigma podcast. It isn't always somebody shouting abuse across the street. It's not someone posting something awful on social media. It can be, and you've just actually, unbeknownst to yourself, possibly described two or three little moments that have happened uh, that are it's 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 about stigmas. It's about discrimination, and you've described three little experiences there in the past while yeah. that that really um, exemplify that. Yeah. So it's not always the huge things, is it, Alfie?
2: No, and, and the thing with that, you know, when the kids' saying is is sometimes. When you're almost aware of being a protected characteristic is you almost get used to being stigmatized against. And, you know, things happen that are really on your radar. You don't pick up or you don't want to pick up because it hurts. Like, it really, you know, if, if having a headmaster who has an, has an influence mm. over a large majority of youngsters, um, like somebody like... Him or her saying something like that to Kate or to me would, uh, me it would, it would, it would be painful. Mm-hmm. Like it really, really would be painful. And sometimes, sometimes when it comes to, comes to stigma, is to just if it's t- directed at you, is it's just best to just not even accept, you know, not even understand it exists. But then you get to a moment where you refuse to allow it to continue because you realize like Kate has, like I has, that is bigger than you. It's not about you. It's about the girl who says thank you for being who you are because I can now be me. So you, you get to see, it's like it's like a really nice awakening. You get to see this bigger picture that you have to fight against. And like for me in most team sports, the objective and why I felt I was successful at team sports, yeah, I wanted to win, but I wanted I wanted my teammates to respect what I was doing. And when you transcend sport and you go into in into the real world then and you take your perceived difference and you want to change before and change the future, then you do it because that team mentality realizes I'll do this to my best of my ability, not for me. Because mm. my time has come and gone come and gone. I'll do it for the next version of me or the next generation of me to come, to come through. And that's what, I think that's what makes it so, something that so many people like me, Kate, so many other people that makes it so
0: passionate about. And and that's what this podcast series, this campaign is for you. You're still doing it, aren't you? It's not, this isn't a done deal for you at all. And even Kate, looking at your face when you're describing it, I can see the emotion there, Mm -hmm. the, the effects that are so deep on, on, on you, and they stay with you for a long, long scar time. You, they scar you, but clearly
2: they scar you. And I don't know if kids like this, but I am as well. It it scars me, but also motivates me. Mm-hmm. So so much happened in my past. Like I got abused, um, like uh, verbally abused, and all kinds of stuff in in the rugby and in society. But I keep them with me because they my drive. You know, sitting there next to you, Doily, and Kate, it's kind of like, do you know what? Almost this room is preaching to the converted. Like, down this microphone is, is the people who, we, you know, we want to listen. Um, and and them scars, them painful, painful memories, that stigma that's out there, um, It keep it with you because it gives you purpose. Do your power-ups. Yeah. Yes, yes. Do your power-ups. yes. They're my wads. <laughs> is that? Is it a wad? A workout daily or something? Sorry, uh, wad. No. I don't know. What's that, a workout? What do they call? I think is
0: when you go and do you know those gigs in rugby stadiums, and <laughs> what is what is what you get in your inside pocket after. Thanks, Happy. Yeah, Here's two grand. Cash. I don't know what a wad
2: that. is. <laughs> well, that's uh, that's I got the wads mixed up. <laughs> tell me, um,
0: tell me about you know one of those experiences. Give us an idea how uh, how hurtful it can be.
2: Um. So for me, for instance. <clears throat> about three or four games after I announced my sexuality moved to rugby league went to Castleford um, with the Crusaders I'd had fantastic experiences up until then I'd had the odd person shout it and it hurt went to Castleford packed out ground I don't know twenty-three thousand somewhere I'm not sure exactly and for the full 80 minutes I just got homophobically abused Constantly, And I remember standing on the field thinking, why have I put myself in this situation? Like, it was kind of all about me then. Mm -hmm. And I'm bigger than that now. It was kind of all about me because the abuse was all aimed at me. So it was like, why have I made this announcement to make my life better? Yet the one thing that I define myself as, and the 80 minutes where I want to be defined on my ability and the one thing I can do... And I, regardless how well I play or how bad I play, I'm getting abused for my sexuality, which has no relevance on my ability of playing at all. Um, And it was horrific. I I genuinely felt during the whole game that at the end of this game, I will never put a pair of boots on again. I will never walk out on a rugby field again um, because it just isn't worth it. Um, I'll just go away and I'll get on with my life, whatever that may be. Um, And it's really interesting because I find... What I've learned as well, and Kate will definitely know this, whether it be instant or a couple of days after, is to every, and I say to every negative action, there's always a positive reaction. Always, like always. When they say there's an action reaction, I say to every negative, there's always a positive reaction. And I I walked in the change rooms that day and all my teammates came around me and they were all supporting because they'd all heard it. And then strangely... All the Castleford players, one by one, Uh came into the changing rooms, shook my hand, said, we're apologising for the crowd um, and we respect what you've done. So I was like, that's okay, that's fine, right, okay. And then a couple of days later, because I didn't want to take it any further again because I thought, you know what, I don't want to promote this kind of discrimination and I kind of wanted to go away. People from the crowd, Castleford fans, some of them had filmed and recorded them, chanting and the slurs they were saying so then castleford got fined the players got the the fans who were chanting it got banned from the ground and all of a sudden i thought right okay do you know what i'm gonna stick in this because i'm the first to do something if you're the first to do something people don't know how to react and sometimes when they don't know how to react they react in a way that they think makes it gives them power so it's like i put him down so then i'm the stronger man um And I realized that I'm going to have to come across a lot of this. But then I went back thinking, well, if I come across a lot of this and I overcome it, imagine the next person who comes Mm. after me, then life's going to be a lot better for him. So facing stigma and facing discrimination um, is a horrible, horrible thing. But you usually find that there's a positive outcome. At the end of it. So, you know, when we're talking about this now, people are going to be listening to this and listening to Kate, listening to me, listening to you and be like, oh, I get it. Yeah, right. Okay. I get it. I get what you're saying. And that's wrong that people did that. It's wrong that that headmaster said that to you or the crowd said that to you. So I'm going to make sure that I don't allow that to happen in my environment as well.
0: Yeah. Look, it still hurts you. Mate, right. it kills, but It mm-hmm. kills. Um, Interesting though rugby is still so far behind the curve when it comes to players feeling comfortable enough to be able to come out. Yeah. I, I really thought after Alfie came out we'd see a lot of players being able mm-hmm. to be true to themselves, be the best version of themselves and it hasn't happened. Uh, whereas in hockey I, I, it seems to, I know is a f- more forward thinking, more accepting maybe the... Uh,
1: mm. On the women's side, mm, the I was yeah, yeah, that's the thing. So I think sometimes people say, "Oh, hockey's really you know equal. It's very open. It's you know everybody's comfortable with." But it it's, it's really not. I can speak from my experience in the in the women's hockey that I've played. But you know, I know I've played in the Netherlands a few times, and you th- you know, you know, the Netherlands is a pretty free thinking, open you know nationality. But actually it's a, yeah, we're okay with it, but we don't talk about it. That's how I felt when, we, when I played there. It was, yeah, we, we know that some people are, are gay or bi or trans, um, but we, 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 do, we don't need to talk about it. And, and so by not talking about it, you're, you feel you're, you're made to feel shame. You're made to feel wrong. Um, so it's subtle, like you said, it's not always horrific, the, as you experienced in, in that game and I'm sure many other games. Sometimes it's those subtle things, just sometimes not uh wanted to talk about it actually mm. is just as bad um and and i think in men's hockey we are we are far from i don't think i know i'm just trying to literally root through my brain i don't think i know one openly out gay male player a uh, hockey player so we we still have a long way to go
0: Maybe that discrimination, maybe that acceptance, maybe that acceptance comes from discrimination itself. Because if, if the bigots out there are saying, oh, oh, women hockey players and women rugby players, well, they're all gay, aren't they?
2: So mm-hmm. that's okay. Yeah. But no one's saying that about men's sport. Yeah. yeah. So it's it's, it's they, the flip. It's yeah. the completely flip is that, you know, and then what affects the women's game yeah. is the fact that straight women don't want to play sport because they don't want to be deemed as gay.
1: Because it's seen as a negative yeah. thing. Yeah.
2: Because and because again, there's this whole thing of, of for some unknown reason, one thing that is all about your ability, actually that one thing that matters—the ability or the enjoyment or the fun—is taken away by this quite irrelevant relevance of mm. your sexuality. Mm. It's kind of it's, it's so is like so irrelevant, yet we make it so relevant in the world of sport. Yeah you know it's just it's, it's just kind of a bizarre concept to be in and the, you know the fact that um there's a lot of um there's a lot of rugby and football um teams that are inclusive yet when you go to the professional game of of rugby or football you don't have any yeah so somewhere in the line of professional sport right there's a block mm. Mm. there's that that filter is not being able mm to go through because of the discrimination, I feel, that is either in the boardroom, on the terraces, in the changing rooms, somewhere. And it's never, I don't know if Kate knows any more than this, I feel it's never really been seriously addressed.
1: No. No, I don't, well, I don't think diversity generally, in every sense, has really been addressed at structural, board level level, you know media everything how how the game is run how it's broadcast how it's shown I don't think I mean and thankfully we're starting to have conversations about it um but I think it's it's that's where we need to go definitely it's those lived experiences because it's as you said it's 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 irrelevant, but it's also relevant. Mm. It's it should be irrelevant, but actually, it's very relevant because mm. what you've experienced is very significant, and it's impacted you, and it will be impacting thousands, if not, you know, millions of rugby players around the around the world. So, you know, why are we not addressing it? Why are we not talking? I want to I want to talk to you. I want to find out everything you've experienced, and I want to make sure that nobody else ever has to experience mm. anything like that again that's what i would want to do if i was in a board level but that's because i've that's because i have experienced it if i've never experienced being on the outside being othered being shamed being made to feel wrong then of course i'm not able to put myself in your shoes i'm next probably not even going to cross my mind to be honest and you know i can say that as a as a, a white woman who's able bodied, you know, I can't I can't understand what life is like for, for somebody who's living with a disability. I can't understand what it's like to be a black woman. I I need to listen, learn, understand mm. and hear from those people and educate myself because I'm in a, a structural world that is very white, middle class, able bodied, heterosexual. And we we need to break out of that if we really want to move forward.
2: Yeah, on that, I just want to say like a kind of little anecdote thing that happened to me right when I, after I came out and just what you said about like organisations wanting to have a conversation. Right? When I first came out about my sexuality, a couple of days after the, uh, I got called in by the union and they said, look, we know you've made this decision now. We're going to make sure that we protect your environment, that, you know, we're going to, Make sure that any form of a boost is going to be clamped down on. Want to know you're okay. And I went through everything. I was like, this is great. Thank you so, so much. And they said at the end, is there anything else we can do for you? And I was kind of like, there's nothing else you can do for me now. I said, but you know, I came out Saturday. You could have had this conversation or this discussion on Friday or a week before or a month before or a couple of years before. So you wouldn't have to have that fear of walking into an environment of the unknown and I think so many unions feel like you know the hockey probably the men's hockey would be like do you know what we haven't got an openly gay player so we don't need to create an environment the problem lies in that you haven't got an openly gay male hockey player and I think that's the thing people are going to react to situations rather than being proactive about creating environments where there are no situations. Because statistically, there will be a male
0: professional hockey player who is homosexual and is too scared to come out. Fact, Yeah. Yeah. fact. Some poor bloke or a number of blokes out there are going through absolute personal hell because they don't feel the environment's comfortable enough due to discrimination and stigmas to come out and be the best version of themselves. And it hasn't changed.
1: No. And if you accused the association or, you know, any powers that be of that, of of basically not just allowing but supporting somebody to to live a really fearful life of shame and pain they would be like no you know these are these are good you know they're good people but good people can can make mistakes and good people can think in very blinkered ways it's it's not about saying no these are bad these are bad people it's just that be more proactive open up be curious about the world and all of our difference um, and I think I just yeah that's where we just need to go I think
0: when Ireland was the first country in the world for the public to vote for uh, same-sex marriages yeah. it was a brilliant moment that mm-hmm. referendum it was fantastic I had a Magnus that day to celebrate did you have a, a Magnus Magnus yeah to celebrate <laughs> yeah. <laughs> with ice with ice well, do you know it was one wonderful on a very like personal level I let my brother marry his boyfriend and I've got this fantastic brother-in-law now and to see him happy is wonderful my mother was so excited about it all and this is a you know well she won't She'll claim she was born in the 40s. It might have been earlier than that. I'm <laughs> quite sure. But that acceptance from a government level, mm. because it made it okay. Yeah. Mm. For a lot of people, it needs, and, and, and that's the point. It's it's okay, it's great doing podcasts and telling your stories, but actually, there has to be real proactive things done. Mm. Am I right in saying
1: that? Oh, 100%. Yeah. So, I mean, that like, in terms of the trans community, you know, there's the Gender Recognition Act is forcing the government to, to look at that to. To really allow people to be who they want to be. I mean, if you think about it, you know, actually at government level, we can just decide who you are and what gender you are. I mean, it's beyond comprehension to me that that should be down to that individual. So I think it absolutely belongs at government level. I think it's also educational. Again, that comes from government. What's in our curriculum? How are we? educating our young people are we giving them the tools to find that knowledge and to seek it out um at that earliest age i think that's that's the most important thing for me
2: definitely yeah yeah, we promote diversity we promote difference yet uh, we we law stereotypes yeah you know you you put it you put it we we want everybody to be different we want to have this free diverse world but to be that you have to fit in the box as well And it just doesn't, you know, it doesn't work. A circle don't go into a square. Mm -mm. One
0: message from both of you to the people listening to this podcast, who maybe through listening to the podcast have kind of looked in the mirror a little bit and have gone, oh, wow, I'm guilty of discriminating a bit and having these kind of, even being their subconscious, you know, uh, this discriminatory attitude towards people. Uh, What one thing would you say to them now um, to kind of help them along? Because, hey, difficult for you Mm to, to be the true version of yourselves. It's not an easy journey for anyone out there. So, so what advice would you give?
1: I think uh, to be a good ally. So, and I think being a good ally means educating, educating yourself and understanding that you're going to get things wrong and that you're not going to be perfect, but actually just by acknowledging people's existence and acknowledging for them for who they are and who they want to be, I think is the is the best starting point. And I think from there you can move forward. So I'd go for that one.
2: Good advice. Alfie? Yeah, I think again, being the ally, but being being the ally that, that stands up for maybe somebody who can't stand up for themselves. So, you know, there's so much discrimination goes on that is just thrown away behind, you know, in the living room, somebody's father at the table or somebody mocking somebody in the pub in a group where he thinks he's around the lads. Like, be the bigger person to be the ally to stand up and say, do you know what, Dad? Don't say that at the table. Because even though you're not on the television saying it, um, and there's not thousands of people listening to you say it, so you think it's not racist or it's not homophobic um, if you're you're not magnified to the masses, the reality is discrimination comes from the same place. So whether you say it in front of your son, your daughter, um, your cousin, your friends, your family, it's still being homophobic. It's still Mm -hmm. being racist. So I think to be the person, the ally, to stand up and say, do you know what? I'm not going to be around when you say that or what you're saying right now doesn't offend me because I'm gay, but it offends me because you're being a discriminative person and you're the person I look up to. Mm. So
0: there's been so much support for this and rightly so. And after this podcast series, it's going to grow and grow and grow. But we got to mention some of the star names. Okay. I'm not talking about you, Alfie. (laughs) I'm talking about not sporting royalty, but uh, music royalty and Sir Elton John, who's been very, very supportive and has said a lot of very, very good, positive things. And Prince Harry, of course. Um, You know, getting support from high profile figures like that's hugely important.
2: Yeah, it's hugely important because people listen to important figures. Um, and also what it does, it gains attention, media attention um, and attention of the public. And, and I think the most important thing is what's relevant to me about them two people is that it says so much about them, mm. not me. It says a lot about them because I know when they got involved and a lot of people said to me, oh, this is amazing. Like, how can a boy from Bridgend, you know, attract the attention of these people to support this campaign? It's like, it does, you know, don't tap me on the back tap them on the back um, and they're just two people who are extremely powerful but care about everybody who is affected by HIV in any way and Harry in a big way because he carries on carrying on the legacy of his mother and he's very proud to do that then you've got Elton and David Elton or runs the Elton John AIDS Foundation so these are two people who've dedicated their life to helping other people and For them to find the time to now, you know, support, tackle HIV is a really powerful, important, humbling thing to have. I notice you say Elton and David very naturally. You have them
0: in your phone, don't you? You
2: Got, and, got, and the E and D. And, <laughs> D and, D. <laughs> <laughs> and I got Harry and the H. Harry and it's, more, it's our role. Big H. <laughs> you're, the, you're the D. <laughs> the, um,
0: Harry's support is massive because even though he's royalty, I, I, he just seems so relatable, particularly a lot of young people. They really look up to him, don't they?
1: Oh, yeah. Um, and I think, as as Alfie said, he's, because he's carrying on the, you feel like he's carrying on the legacy of his mom who did incredible work, particularly around AIDS and HIV in the 80s. I think it's also just from a place of real genuine care, and he wants to understand it, and he wants to know more, and he wants to to do his bit in any way that he can. And you just and you want to follow those people. You want to attach yourself to those people. And he's he's a global, well-renowned person. And and I think it's I think it's amazing that he's is doing the work that and, he does.
2: And you know when we talk about iconic images and iconic moments in time, that the gravestone one is is a negative, but then you have when Princess Diana first went into. Um, at home with people living with HIV and AIDS and shook somebody's hand. I like that moment was a defining moment, even in the eighties for people living with HIV and AIDS. And I think Harry wants to continue to be part of that defining moment.
0: Yeah, and it really comes from a good place. Um, well, when both of you talk about this subject, I, I wish you could see as you listen to this podcast, there's so much emotion and expression in your faces. You're just, you really mean everything you say and it's been wonderful talking to you. It really has been. Um, anything you want to leave us all with before you leave us here today, Kate?
1: No, I think, I guess just, you know, just be curious. I think just just don't feel... Um, that you need to know everything, but that there is there is there is so much to know, and I think reach out. There's some great um, places you can get information. So for me, I'm always on the Stonewall website because I don't know so much. I don't know lots of the terms. I get things wrong all the time. But I want to know. I want to understand. So I think I would tell people to just actively to to go onto the Stonewall website and just have a browse around and and ask questions and start to up up knowledge yourself and and see where that takes you.
0: Knowledge is
2: power. That's You're it. right, knowledge is power. And I think that's the thing with this is education um, pretty much is the key. And there's a lot of information out there, but there's also a lot of misinformation mm. out there. That's why with Tackle HIV, we've set up a website at tacklehiv.org where we have information. Um, we'd also link charity partner with the Terence Higgins Trust. Um, also, we're on social media, on Twitter, at, at Tackle HIV. And it, I think by using them channels is a great way to be able to educate yourself, which will also give you then the power to be able to educate other people and treat people living with HIV the same as you would treat anybody else
0: absolutely Kate it's been an absolute joy talking to you really lovely speaking to you we're going to go off now and watch some DIY SOS and (laughs) and, Samborizer have a little cry and Alfie you're going to go watch some uh, the old 80s TV series Alfie and uh, yes of course (laughs) watch myself look at all those uh, screenshots people are going to be sending you after.
1: oh yeah I
0: see it now Uh, brilliant stuff Kate thanks again uh, Alfie always great being in your company join us on the next podcast when we will be joined by Dion Dublin Uh, speak to you soon take care of yourselves bye bye